Hello and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here with episode 376 and our conversation with the creator and lead performer for the group Ideas Not Theories, Boston-based freelancing and performing percussionist Reina Liz Herrera. We'll get back to her shortly. But first up, the semester is over. It has finally happened. Grades are in and released to the students, and it's a very nice feeling. I'm happy to be finished and ready for a bit of downtime at some point. I'll talk about that more later. Also, this will be the last podcast posted in 2023. We made it! I still have a couple more interviews from folks who presented at PASIC 2023, including today's guest, and I'll be releasing those in the first few weeks of 2024, then moving on to new interviews for next year. Stay tuned. And with that, let's get to our conversation with Reynalis Herrera. Once I got in touch with Reynalis, she suggested I watch some of her Ideas Not Theories videos, and I have to be honest, they are riveting. There is a real energy, athleticism, and excitement to these pieces that I really enjoyed, and I recommend checking them out. I'll have links to those in the show notes. It was also a good chance to check in with Reynalis because she was part of this year's PAS Diversity Alliance panel, which this year focused on neurodivergent percussionists. As I state in the interview here, one of the things I enjoy most about the panels put on by the Diversity Alliance is that they tend to have some of the, for lack of a better word, realist life moments of the entire conference that seemed to be on display this year. I ended up catching most of the panel, and what I found out from panelists Sean Neely, Scott Farkas, Kalani Das, and Reynalis is that they've all had to manage their worlds in very specific ways to be successful. And those ways are not always obvious to those who do not have to manage our lives in the same way. It was another world I was not familiar with, and I was greatly appreciative to hear about it. And today, you'll get to hear about Reina Lisa's experiences with her own neurodivergency, along with her life in Boston, her upbringing in Mexico, her education in various countries, and so much more. So let's get to it. We recorded this interview over Zoom on November 3rd, 2023, and it begins right now. I actually was invited to be a part of the panel by, uh, by Elizabeth Delamater. Mm -hmm. uh, she reached out to me and invited me. I'm not sure exactly who came up with the idea, but I'm guessing she's like one of the the people who came up with the idea. Yeah, she she's seen me like kind of like talk about my experiences, and I think um, that's why she reached out to me, partly. But yeah, but I think it's great because you don't see that a lot in in you know now. Like I think it's start you're starting to see that come out in different you know, organizations or institutions, but it's, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. That term, I don't know if it's new or if it's just more, people are more aware of that term. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like I, I've only known about it for 
a few years. It's but what's your sense of that term? Right. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I actually read the. I think it started the the term started in the nineties, so it's okay. not like super new. A ninety eight, I don't something ninety six. I'm not sure why it's been more present now, like the term itself. Right now, I think it it might be just like because in general people are more aware of of you know our differences and our of just general mental health and all, all of those things. And I think maybe that's part of it. Uh, and people are kind of like growing to be more accepting and more inclusive in general. So that might be it. I also myself like only heard of the term a, a few years ago. It, it's funny because like immediately I, I was like this, like I related a lot with it. And even before the term existed, I, I kind of knew I was neuro, neurodivergent. Um, aside from the fact that I had, like, I know now I have some, like, that uh, ADHD and stuff. But, like, um, just in general, just the, the general concept of it. So, yeah. I don't know. I think that's why it's more present now. So When you discovered that, or at least it... it you you heard that and you're like that's i know what that is <laughs> or what when did what was that like yeah. to figure that out i'm gonna explain it two different ways one is um so let's if, if we think about like what is neuro divergency it's hard to 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 say <laughs> um it's basically just people who who's brains or minds are wired differently or work differently, right? That's basically kind of like the bottom general explanation. Uh, but then you, you, uh, it's common to have neurodivergent people who also have diagnosis of different conditions like ADHD, autism, um, dyslexia, etc. cetera. Uh, and some people might not have diagnosis. So for me, I... I, I mean, I, I identify with the term in two different, for two different reasons. One is I always felt I was different and always felt kind of like my my mind worked differently. And yeah, I was kind of wired differently. And yeah, I always kind of felt that way. And, but so when I I, I um, heard the term and read more about it, I was like, like I completely like, I was like, that's me. And and, and it's, it's a good feeling, at least for me. Um, and but also like the last years I have been discovering conditions I have like like OCD and ADHD. So it kind of all goes together. So it kind of like, yeah, and this, you know, like those two things. So and I'm still learning more about it. It's kind of intriguing, you know, and because you learn about yourself and how you interact with the world and how you work and and you go back and think about things that happened before or like why you do the work you do or like why you do this or that and, and kind of explains different things. So, yeah. Regarding the panel, were there questions sent out ahead of time or was this kind of a, I don't want to jump too much on what you're going to do, but, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, was there like a, did they prep and say kind of focus on these areas or, or is it mostly meant to be kind of a share what share experiences? We'll see what happens when we, Right. So I think it's kind of like a combination of both. Like 
we each uh, each panelist is going to have an opportunity to introduce ourselves and share about our experiences. And each of us also kind of chose a, a particular kind of uh, topic or focus that we want to highlight about our experience. So that's going to be cool and interesting because each of us kind of chose very different things to talk about. Um, in my, I'm not going to give away too much, but on my side, I'm going to talk about a little bit about how I see my neurodivergency expressed through my musical work and, and my creations and things like that. Um, so I'm going to talk about that. And, and the other panelists will talk about other things. Half of the time, we're also going to receive questions uh, apart from the audience. So that, they'll be able to ask just in the moment. But also we have, uh, we're taking questions in advance. So there's going to be a QR code in the Paz Diversity Alliance booth. Your people will be able to find a QR code and submit their questions as soon as basic starts. And additionally, there is a link uh, that one of the panelists, Sean, created for a Google Doc where people can actually start submitting questions now. People will be able to hear both things, our experience and also ask questions. So neurodivergency is showing up in your kind of your compositions and your your work there um yeah. is there some way that in terms of your training where that you could tell that you had to do you had to work in a different way so that you could be successful i didn't know this at the time exactly like what was going on but i did take a big turn in my in my you know career or, or kind of like right after I finished my graduate studies of what I wanted to do because I felt frustrated and, and kind of like, like I wasn't able to express myself. So uh, looking back at the time, I will, oh, I usually just say like I was just that frustrated, couldn't express myself, wanted to kind of find my voice. But looking back, I'm like, it it had it it probably had to do with me my neurodivergency and just kind of like I was maybe trying to fit in in a mold that I didn't fit in and I was trying to make a new mold for myself in a way uh, and and express myself as I am which part of it is being neurodivergent so yeah I think what you're saying is I don't know if that's what you were trying to say but something yeah. 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 One of the things I really enjoy about the Diversity Alliance panels is that it's one of the few times I feel like there's a little bit, people are slightly uncomfortable <laughs> and it, because the topics are more serious because um, I think the emotion is a, little, is, is a little bit more real in ways that it's not manufactured. And it's not like a, like, like people really get into it, which is what I, which is why I always enjoy it partially because so, so much of PASIC is very, just like shaking hands and taking pictures, <laughs> yeah. quick meetings. And then here we are like really getting into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's more like, yeah, there is a lot of realness about it and yeah. yeah authenticity. Yeah. I I meant to mention this, but mm -hmm. I, I guess I forgot. I would like to mention the other panelists. Yeah, name. please do. 
Yep. So uh, the mod- moderator is going to be Dr. Olivia Kiefer. Mm-hmm. And the other panelists, along myself, are going to be Sean Neely, Kalani Das, and Scott Farkas. Give me a summation of your percussion activities, responsibilities that you have at this point. I'm a percussionist, composer, educator, and I do some freelance work, but my main focus that I've had for the last 11 years has been two things. One is to um, work with my company, Ideas Not Theories, where I'm the director, composer, lead performer. Um, And Ideas Not Theories, just a brief um, description, is a theatrical percussion company for unconventional instruments, where I perform my original music for bicycles and other instruments. But the bicycle is the main focus. And and yeah, so that's one of my main focus. And along that, which is kind of parallel and blends together also is kind of like my work um, uh, using the bicycle as a musical instrument, which I've done along with Ideas Not Theories I for the last 11 years also. And I've, I've kind of researched uh, or I guess like on my own or whatever, like the bicycle as a musical instrument and and by composing for it. I mean, researching it sounds and all of that, but also composing for the bicycle in different ways, like uh, formats and settings and all that. So I have so far like six bicycle compositions and also performing those compositions through my company, Ideas Not Theories. So... I guess my focus is right now is ideas, not theories, and my bicycle music, basically. Uh, not super traditional, I guess, but yeah, no, that's <laughs> super fascinating. There's a separation from with the the bicycle compositions are are at times part, I guess, of ideas, not theories, but it's also kind of a, a separate thing that you do, right? So I will say there is no separation because I. It's kind of like I write the pieces, I do all the kind of like research, if you want to call it, write the pieces and perform them with ideas, not theories. So I, I guess there is not not really a separation, but yeah, I, I just separate to say like my focus is on the bicycle. Ideas, not theories is where I do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell me about starting that and why you decided that was the way your your art was going or ended up going. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, you mean like both, right? The ideas not theories, the bicycle, just yes. all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so both kind of blend together too because I started both also around the same time. So basically, I'm, I'm going to try to not go for too long because I can tell a long story. That's right. <laughs> I, I had uh, finished my master's at in, in uh, at the Boston Conservatory. I was studying um, percussion performance. I mean, by then I had a background of the last eight years or something uh, in my studies and experiences as a musician, as as mainly a classical percussionist, and and I you know I got to perform with orchestras, soloists, recitals, etc. 
I had also other background, like with dance companies and stuff, but that was kind of my focus, right? So around that time, I was fast forward to when I finished my master's. I was, um, like I was saying before, kind of frustrated and felt like I could, basically I felt like I couldn't express myself like that, like fully. And, and that kind of was turning me, turning me off a little because that's why I do it. Like I, I was like, why do I do music? And like initially I did it because it felt good. Like I felt like I was expressing myself. It was an outlet for me. That's why I started doing it. So since I was kind of losing that, I was like, I, I was, you know, I was feeling like something was off and, and I wanted to find out like what or why or things like that. At the moment, I just kind of tried to, you know, go on a, like a search or something, uh, soul search, I don't know, about what made me, what makes me happy in music? Who am I as a musician? What's my voice? Things like that. So um, in trying to answer those questions, I I mean, I was kind of realizing and discovering like the more kind of playful kind of music or I mean, I know creativity, you see, see it in a lot of different ways, but let's say uh, open creative or something. Um, part of what I've done or, or, or of music is what I was looking for and kind of like I, I could relate as like, that's me, that's my voice and um, things like that. So I was, I, I, I was thinking about a lot of different things, but then around that time, let's say, two things happened. One, which was with the bicycle stuff. So I always liked writing music and performing music for found objects or unconventional instruments, like kind of like doing more experimental things. Uh, Since I was, uh, you know, since I started music and that came kind of from, I think from working with my mom, my mom is a former dancer. So I used to play on her dance company. So I was kind of more pushing to like, doing things differently and, and stuff. So, so I always like that, but then, uh, fast forward to finishing my master's and, and thinking about all this stuff, I, um, the bicycle kind of how I, I start with the bicycles kind of random because I, I wanted to, I, I was like finished school. I need money. I'm broke. I, 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 I need to be patient, but I'm going to try and go street performing. So Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'm going to try to make some money like that right now. So I tried it and, and it was just hard to bring all the instruments and heavy instruments. And I didn't have a car and all of that. So then I I was biking. I'm a biker. Uh, One night I was just like, oh, why don't I just drum on my bike and Mm -hmm. and use that as an instrument? So that's kind of how the idea started. And from there, I just was like super excited with that and, and, and started writing my first pieces for bicycle. And then, uh, and then ideas, not theories started like a few months after that, where, so I had the bicycle pieces, some other pieces for unconventional instruments that I've been writing before at, at the same time. And I actually, the idea of not three just started like someone in Mexico invited me to uh, perform at a f- new music festival 
mm-hmm. uh, music by Mexican composers. So I asked, can I just perform my own music because I'm from Mexico. I'm, I'm a composer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I am Mexican. I have a. I am a composer. I meet the requirements. Eh? I'm your person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so he was like, yeah, of course. And so so that's when I basically premiered the first Ideas Not Theories program. So I started with kind of like one program or show, mm-hmm. like I would call it. And and it premiered then, and then from then I was like, this is what I want to do, like bicycles, ideas, notaries, all this stuff. And um, so I started like that, and then from then I evolved and created more music, more programs. I got even more obsessed with the bicycle because at first the bicycle was just kind of one of the things, yeah, yeah. the unconventional instruments and one element. But then I, I just like got super focused on it. So after that. When you start writing, uh, and the bicycle is the main instrument, is 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 there already a theatrical component in that, or were you trying to kind of imagine that it was a snare drum or a multi instrument, and you're just going to kind of play it straightforward without there being a uh, some some other theatrical aspect in it? Right. Yeah. So I think for the first bicycle piece I wrote, I think I, I was thinking of the theatrical aspect when I was writing it because it kind of fits. And yeah. I was like thinking of sort of like the story of like, oh, and the bicycles and then they are not allowed in the space that they're in. And there is a security guard who doesn't like it and kick us out and things like that. Kind of like it just made sense. Yeah. And and I always kind of written a little theatric, like theatrically, even if I don't mean to like, and, and it's not always theatrically, like there is a storyline, but more like um very visual i guess yeah. music that's visual but uh yeah in this sense i think for the first piece i was thinking theatrically then some other bicycle pieces i went more straight to just the sound and the music yeah. so it both i guess i've done both how do you incorporate the other percussionists or performers if they're not percussionists play you know as part of your group I've had throughout the years, I work with what you will call like a rotating cast mm-hmm. or rotating group of performers, um, which have changed obviously because it's 11 years is a long time. So uh, some of them, you know, have worked with me for like three years and they go away or things like that. Some two years, things like that. But I do it rotating in the sense that it's not like fixed, like I need this player for for this performance for any performance or something so like i i let's say uh, at that particular moment in time let's say i might have five or six performers that have played some part of my music and then if i have a gig or performance i i call whoever can 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 play or or then yeah kind of like that but the the interesting part has been um I write everything. I write all the music. So it's kind of like, you know, you can technically get the music for the bike and and figure out how to do it and, and play it. Um, obviously, there are like 20 pages of explanations. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you can technically do that. But it's obviously a, a, a cool experience. Like when I get players, it's new players, and some of them are pretty good at just figure it out on their own, come in and they already even memorize the piece or something. Mm-hmm. 
but but some of them it gets a lot easier if I'm kind of doing it with them and kind of like explaining the bicycle movement. You're like, oh yeah, you the the tire. Here's a trick to do it a little easier or things like that. Part of the interesting thing is with the theatrical part of it because some performers might come in uh, with some theatrical th- training mm-hmm. or you know experience and some not and I kind of work on that with them like we all kind of when when we, when we have when we are getting ready for something or performances like I I take care of kind of like the theatrical training especially like physical physical theater um yeah and then they it, it takes a little while sometimes you know but after um yeah the more they do it, i definitely notice the the more they get into it the more they kind of clicks the, the the theatricality of of the yeah. what it means and yeah how detailed are your are your notes are you writing is it like so so someone else looked at your score or, and and what you've written now could they basically do the whole thing or is there a lot of wiggle room where you're you're like this might be a little improvised or h- how detailed does that all get yeah i will say i'm pretty detailed like i i'm pretty it's funny because like the whole idea and everything is very it's kind of very um how you say I don't know, free or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's open, I guess, or something. Yeah, but then, like, I'm super the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of like... No, the snout only comes up halfway, not all the way or something like that, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, like, I'm kind of both. Like, I'm very playful and open, but I'm also very obsessive and serious. So, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, when it comes to, like, writing uh, the piece, I'm very, like this is what I want. Like, you know, I write every note, um, every rhythm, every note, every sound is the sound I want kind of thing. Some some pieces do have like in, in deliberate improvisations where mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, this is an improvisation, the player, player one improvises kind of thing. But overall it's just like through compose, like written and, and I do indicate, you know, like, specifically which sound of the bike I want and things like that. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> how many on the bike, how many different sounds have you been able to catalog or is it, is, is some of it about just where on the bike you're playing versus maybe like a, or do you like, can you do you detail like angle tip a stick or, or all that stuff? Is that also involved? Well, to answer the first question, like how many sounds, like a lot of sounds, I, I, I guess I'll get more in the, into detail with that. But basically every single sound of the bike, and I'll explain more about that. But uh, yeah, it's mainly like, uh, yeah, I've cataloged the sounds and it's kind of like just indicating where you play. So for example, like you play on the chain wheel. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's like, by the pedal, this, mm-hmm. this thing. Um, and then, or like you play on the rim of the wheel, which is mm-hmm. the, the metallic rim that's um, underneath the tire. Um, yeah. Or you play on the top tube of the frame or something like that. Yeah. Uh, 
I got more into detail with my last piece, which is by Concero, a Concero for Soul by Scone Orchestra, which there I there I kind of like explore specifically each sound of of the bicycle to like I gave it a whole movement. So I kind of went into more detail and nuance. And then I did more like muffle sounds, like you muffle a part, play it, and then unmuffle it, play it, kind of like more playing around with the sounds and tuned like the spokes, for example, and mm-hmm. the tires, like tune them by pumping the air pressure. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I went more into detail with that piece. But yeah, overall is indicating which part of the bicycle you play to get the sound. Yeah, that's great. And of course, not having played a bike, I wouldn't have even thought of that the inflation obviously is going to change the pitch of the the rim. (laughs) But that makes sense for you. I was like, oh, wow, no way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's super cool. Do you go through a ton of drumsticks? I mean, does does it does this just wreck sticks? Oh yeah, I use my (laughs) most bad sticks for it, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> they are, yeah, they end up like, like when they start like sheep. Oh, the splintering and stuff like that. Splintering, so yeah. we just gotta use bad sticks. For yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I do like I do kind of like deliberately use like thicker sticks or heavier sticks. Let's say for like the tires, because mm-hmm. you, know, you want to get a more like bassy sound, so like a bigger stick. Yeah. Like gets more of the sound of that, or like I may use like more thinner or middle uh, mm-hmm. weight sticks for like if you are playing um, a frame and things like that. But but I do like indicate, let's say like you want you want to play with the back of the stick for these sounds because it sounds yeah. better, or or things like play this much, leave this much uh, many inches of of stick to play mm-hmm. the frame because it. There is a sweet point, let's say, that gets yeah. the most, most resonance on things like that. Little tricks, I guess. But yeah, for your bike concerto, I, it's hard to tell. You know, watch. I watched the videos that you sent, and I, I, and it was hard for me to tell how loud things are. So, does it project when you're in front of another, in front of like a group that's behind you playing, or is it? Does it have to be like pretty well mic'd so so you can we can hear what's going on? Yeah, so for for by Conchero, which is um, a concerto for solo bicycle and orchestra, and the orchestra is like a, a twenty people orchestra mm. of like strings and winds. So you yeah. have a whole ensemble behind you. Uh, for this one, I so when I performed it live, I did mic it for for some movements and some bicycle sounds you have to mic it more than or or less. So it depends what what, what I'm playing. So actually first for this, I play one full bicycle and I play two kind of setups slash instrument designs that I made, which are, I call them my spokes keyboard and my tires keyboard. Mm. And the the spokes has like five different uh, wheels with spokes and the tires has four tires of different sizes. Um, so those three kind of setups. So basically the full bicycle, I usually play the metallic sounds and th- that's mm. a lot louder. So I yeah. just make it a little bit 
just to project more because of the ensemble that I have behind me. But then the spokes are pretty quiet. So for that one, that one was the trickiest one. So I had to experiment a little bit with mics, but we found out like just a couple mics really like make it, makes it work. So it, it worked out with a couple mics and the tires I tried to mic too, just to, you get a lot more like, like you can hear it without a mic, but if, if it can project, like yeah. it's a lot more exciting in, in for the tires. So it depends. So is it for a bike concerto, but for the other pieces, which I usually play a lot of the metallic sounds, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily need a mic. It it kind of depends on the venue and stuff, but I've done it without mics plenty of times and it's fine. So when you have other performers joining you, are are they responsible for to bring their own bikes or do you have a, a fleet that are are the instruments? No, yeah, I just bring all the bikes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm the bike collector and car. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but not everybody has a, a free bike hanging around to play. Right. So or when they want to pound into submission uh, <laughs> yeah. for your for your pieces, maybe not. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, yeah. And also like I I kinda use particular bikes that mm-hmm. I you know like collected over the years that mm-hmm. I can assign like, oh, this bike is good for this part of this piece or something right. yeah. based on the sounds and the, the type of bike. So I don't know. It just works well that, that way. You There's a video that you have that's an outside performance that's more in the, I guess, theatrical realm. And I would assume what is, is it when you've played, when you play outside, mm-hmm. And there's less of a clear divide. Is do people will people just kind of like walk all the way up through your stuff or just not? <laughs> what are the kinds of reactions you get when it's a when it's a really a crowd that's just kind of like, what is going on? Right. Yeah. So that video you watch. So yeah, I performed kind of like in all kinds of settings, like indoors, serious, not serious, outside, inside, etc. Yeah. Uh, so that one that you watch, I think it was uh, from a festival. So it was mm. Illuminous Festival. So there, the festival was outdoors. So all the it was there was a lot of like installations and stuff outdoors, oh, sure. and we were kind of like a performance. So there, the the cool thing about it is that we already had a, a lot of audience because there there was a lot of people roaming around the festival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they were they were already expecting weird stuff to happen. Oh yeah, <laughs> this like, is just another thing. Is basically another weird thing. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Oh, they're playing on bikes. All right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean that was cool because it was outdoors and it was welcoming to anybody. But mm-hmm. also there was the expectation that you don't know what you're gonna run into. So mm-hmm. uh, so. That one was great because there was a lot of people and a lot of audience and and we kind of got a combination of what it seemed like festival attendees and people that were just kind of there and were mm-hmm. kind of taken by, by surprise. Yeah. And so I usually perform either whether if it's indoors of, or outdoors is it kind of like a, there is something going on like a festival or is like a museum event that happens to be outdoors and or things like that. So. The plus thing with that, like I said, is that um, 
you already get audiences though. But um, usually, yeah, the reactions are, I mean, the reactions are usually good and stuff. And people, I mean, I've gotten people who are like walking by and kind of like, when they are surprised, they're like, oh, what is that? What, what, why are they doing that or whatever? And Mm -hmm. um, like I got like for, but also there is always one person like that is kind of like, like one time, I think in that festival, there was one guy who was like, he thought it, the, the theatricality of it was real or something. Mm. And he was, he thought like the character, because the, there was like a police security guard character. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he thought he was like a real p- police or something. <laughs> and he was saying, saying things like, don't kick them out. They're just playing. Oh. Or <laughs> That's awesome. That's exactly what you want. <laughs> yeah. 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 Something like that. So you never know what you're going to get, but it's usually like, I like the kind of surprise element Yeah. from people like, wait, like what, what, what is that? What is going on? Kind of thing. So, um, yeah. So you get all kinds of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Re- audience. I, I've gotten some serious, very serious people who are like, come at, like come after and ask a lot of like more serious questions. And yeah, the person who always, they, I don't know if this happens to you, but there is always a person after a performance that comes and tells you that they, they used to play the drums also. Yeah, that's, that <laughs> always get that one. Or, or my, uh, my, my child plays. Is, is yeah. or something yeah i get that's that's a good one that's fine i'm cool with that but that, yeah that's a frequent thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah it's usually good and fun yeah. to see the audience reactions yeah yeah looking at your your website is your performance the, the list of performances kind of for your career is that Th- that's just kind of what you've played in over your career is, is, or is a lot of that actually through the ideas and that theories? So there is, I'm not sure which one you look up. So I have a bio for, let's say a bio, like right. ideas, not theories and one for just myself. Mm, yeah. the ideas, not theories one, uh, which is, I think the one I send you in the email, that yeah. one is just for what I've done with ideas, not theories. And then Usually when I um, have my bio up somewhere, I put a combination of both things, like with ideas, not theories, or things I've done aside from ideas, not theories. <laughs> All right, well, let's back up, Lorena Elise. Uh, yeah. You grew up in Mexico. Um, did you have any family members in the arts? Well, you said you talked about your mom. Um, right. No, yes. that's a great question because I definitely do. Like all of my family's like artistic. So my mom is a dance. Well, she retired from her modern dance, but now she finds another type of dance that she's obsessed with. Mm-hmm. So I don't think she's, she'll ever retire, but she's, uh, let's say she's, um, her background has been on modern dance, contemporary dance. And she had a dance company for like 30 years or something mm-hmm. when I was growing up. So that was, dance is kind of like her art. And my dad, he's an architect and he thought architecture at a college throughout his whole life. But also he's very artistic in the sense that um, he paints, he has painted for his whole life and wrote poetry, writes poetry 
and mm -hmm. I'm like, and my sister, I have one sister and she's in theater arts. So she's an actress and does theater. Uh, and I think now she's exploring other paths like photography and stuff. So yeah, very artistic family. Well, I guess uh, I I do have some family, extended family members who are artistic mm -hmm. and stuff, but I, um, a lot of them are not. So we're kind of, I don't know, kind of rare, I, I would think, right? Like a whole family of artists, like everyone. I don't That's, know. It, it, it is pretty rare, at least yeah. the, the folks I've talked to over the years. There's usually somebody is usually has something. But not, it's not, it's almost, it, it, you're in the family business, it sounds like, basically. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. The arts business. With that being the case, when does percussion enter your life? So based, yeah, so I was like 11 years old when I started. It's kind of like a funny background story of why I started. But so basically I was 11 years old. I watched this, this Selena movie. Yeah. And I was like, I need to be doing that. Like it was so crazy. It was so intense. Like I was, I, I was like, that's what I need to be doing. Like tomorrow, I'm gonna start. Like that's gonna be my career. Like I'm like talking about music. Yeah, yeah. And I just felt like I wanted to to do what they were doing, but also like kind of like feel what they were feeling or something. Yeah. I don't know, something like that. And uh yeah, I was like that. That was kind of how I, I, my I switched something switched because like I before that I wasn't like, I mean I was a little musical, but I I was never like I need to be a musician or or that's what I want to do or anything. So mm -hmm. that like a hundred percent inspired me, and and then after that. I thought I could just do it without any training. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> I was like, let's make a band. Okay, sister, come here, grab a bucket, and I'll grab a toy guitar, and we'll just practice. And and then my mom was like, yeah, you got to learn first. So so she, like, encouraged me to, you know, start the conservatory in Mexico, where she would, was teaching dance. So that kind of worked out. So I... At what age was this? I was 11. Oh, okay. uh, that yeah. was a little Gotcha. Yeah. And actually I started with another teacher, um, Jose Garza, who uh, for a few months before I entered the conservatory, and he was very like eclectic. Like he will make us, he will make his students kind of build their own instruments and, and kind of has have his own notation. And, yeah. and like, uh, I would like, how do you say, like playing, he made me learn buckets before learning the real like yeah. more rooms. so I, I guess I got it from him too but yeah so then I went into the conservatory and percussion so actually I was like I want to sing like Selena or something yeah that was like my thing but but then I actually failed the singing test uh, <laughs> and I was okay. so disappointed I was so sad but then uh then I chose guitar and and then also I, I did percussion because the percussion teacher was like, oh, it would be good for her to start in percussion or whatever. And so I started with guitar and percussion. And then after two years after that, I started getting really into it and just percussion just kind of 
one. I like went all all into it, and and just I I remember like one of the things that that really kept me, you know, there was like I loved practicing, mm. like I I loved like just like you know going a room, have a drum, and just just be practicing. Like it just made me feel good. Like basically, like and and that motivated me to just keep doing it more and more, and and obviously it's the you get the motivation of your like learning and advancing and things like that. But yeah, that's kind of how I started with percussion. Tell me a little bit more about studying music in Mexico. So is it that if you are doing that, you have to go? to a conservatory is it in any of the high schools or or the middle schools or whatever's the the kind of the similar relationship or is it kind of like you have to pursue it it's it's you have to do it on your own in this kind of way well when i was there i don't know if things have changed much right now but uh there wasn't like a music program in when i was there in high schools or middle schools mm-hmm. so you know, they didn't have like a full music program with orchestras or bands or you know, lessons or things like that. Yeah. Not really. They might have like the one music class that encompasses music history and that's it. Yeah. Not like, um, but yeah. So if you wanted to do music, you had to either take private lessons somewhere or go to a studio or go to, if you wanted to be more serious, just go to the conservatory. So the, the good thing about the conservatory there in my hometown is that it had program for kids, not just serious kind of like mm-hmm. you want to do a whole um, degree. Yeah. So yeah, you had kids from all ages and teenagers and there was kind of this kind of like pre-college thing program also. So, mm-hmm. so I, yeah, I ended up going to the conservatory because, I mean, my mom happened to teach there. And also, I mean, I was pretty serious about it. So, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, I mean, if you're going to be, if you like the practicing, that's really, that's kind of like the key, yeah. you know, element. Yeah. Uh, did you, because your your mom was a, a dancer and dance teacher, um, were you just picking up? dance things from just being around her or from playing in the classes like we because because i know that you you do movement and like you were dancing in some of the videos too so i'm just wondering if that's was that just kind of you were learning because your mom was doing it or you're with your mom right so it's funny because when i was growing up because i moved away from mexico when i was 19 i went to Mm -hmm. canada and then i came here um so I will say when I was growing up until up until 19, let's say, um, I I didn't I hated dance. I was like, I don't I don't want my mom to make me dance. Like I I'm a I'm a musician, just so like <laughs> you know, I'm not a dancer. <laughs> not this little dancer, I'm a musician. Right? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, um yeah, I don't know. I remember she will yeah. She never really made me force me to dance or anything. But yeah, I was, I think it was because I was more shy and like less open and outgoing or things like that. So I, yeah, I did make the distinction strongly then of like, 
even if I'm performing with the dance company, I'm I'm one of the musicians. I'm not a dancer. But then it's funny because then after when I started, kind of like bef- a little before when I started with the whole ideas, not theories and all the bicycle stuff and all of that, I I just like kind of like thought of like the idea of like, oh, maybe I should combine body percussion with with tap dancing mm-hmm. and uh, that would be cool and, and all that. So then I took tap dance classes uh, so I could do that. And it kind of just like went like that. But also like I, I was more interested in the theatricality of it and everything. And also I was more of like an open person, more open person. Mm-hmm. Or if you, I don't know how to call it, but so I was more, yeah, outgoing or open in the sense that I wanted to be, I was okay expressing myself as I was, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I was more interested in the theatrical stuff and, and the dance and stuff. But but maybe I got it from my mom. I mean, I saw her for, yeah. you know, so many years dancing. And like, yeah. yeah. Of course. Um, remind, and I think I read, you're from Monterey. Yeah. I wish I had better geography of Mexico. Where is Monterey? Yeah, so that is northeast of Mexico. <laughs> so it's kind of like, you know, Texas, mm-hmm. basically underneath Texas. Um, Basically like two hours away from the border yeah. with some town in Texas. So, yeah. yeah. When you were growing up, aside from doing all the music items, were you involved in anything else? Were you doing any sports or student government or academic mm-hmm. clubs or anything else that is filling out your time? Yeah. So growing up before being like, before doing music, I guess I was pretty sporty. Like okay. I did a lot of sports. I was a black belt in Taekwondo, for example. Awesome. Um, awesome. And um what else? I was sporty. I was artsy. Like I, I always like drawing, um, mm. paint, kind of painting. Um, and it's funny because like when I was a little kid, you know how they ask you like, "What do you want to be when you want to when you grow up?" or things like that. Yeah, yeah. I would always say I want to be an astronaut. <laughs> like, nice. I like, totally completely different than what I do. <laughs> but but uh, and then that changed to like. I want to be a Taekwondo, whatever. Yeah, person. yeah. And then that changed to I want to be a musician. And I guess that's what I ended up doing. But yeah, I was always sporty and artsy. Taekwondo, I would imagine, has actually been really useful, even mm-hmm. if you're not necessarily, if you may not be studying it as much, just because of the the activity. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's also, I mean, more physical. Yeah. Probably, but but there's a lot of, I mean, balance, weight, flexibility, I would imagine all these things are have been very useful to you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I definitely think ta- doing Taekwondo and I guess some sports in general definitely helped me with, with percussion and, and just like being a musician. Because, yeah, like you're saying, the physicality of it and mm-hmm. the coordination, just like feeling your body. Yeah. A lot. So, yeah, I definitely think that helped. I mean, this is weird, but like, you know how Taekwondo is like, I wouldn't say the art of, but let's say the art of striking. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, right? yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, I know you're striking a person, but hey, yeah. it's, friendly. it's not like, uh, uh, but also percussionist, right? So yeah. I, I guess I was like attracted that to that. I don't know why, but like, uh, I guess it's, there is like some um, catharsis or something that comes mm. up with that. So for me. Um, so how is it that you end up knowing about the school in Canada that you go to and, and why, and, and wanting to leave Mexico to study? Canada happened. So I went there 2005 for, for real, but I, I, I went there for a summer program the year before. And so basically how it happened was like, I was studying in Mexico at the conservatory there and there was going to be a masterclass from the timpanist of the National Arts Center Orchestra of Canada, which okay. was touring around Mexico. I did the masterclass and basically uh, Ian Bernard, who, who's a timpanist, well, former timpanist, uh, he really liked me, my playing and and invited me to go to Canada to first to the summer program. And then he helped me to to actually go and, and study, um, you know, the bachelor's degree at the university for a while there. Um, so that's kind of how it happened. I mean, it was a crazy, you know, great opportunity uh, and kind of random because I it happened like I just did a master class and it went from there. But um, yeah, that's like a big piece, like, you know, a big, uh, in, like, everything of my musical career, like my time in Canada, because um, I, so Ian Bernard, who was also my former teacher, he um, invited me and, and then was able to help me get funding and everything to study at the University of Ottawa with him. But also he, he and, and the National Arts Centre of Canada, which is in Ottawa, um get, introduced me to everybody there and and they gave me so many great opportunities um I said you know I was like 19 or something so like I got to play as a soloist with the orchestra with like uh and the orchestra was the the conductor at the time was Pinka Zuckerman mm, uh, yeah. so um and got to do a lot of recitals at the art center there and see a lot of free concerts from all these crazy um you know uh worldwide musicians and um at while I was studying so it was yeah um yeah great opportunity I'm very grateful for that so um very formative years let's say happened so how at that point how was your English before you go so I will say like I before I went <laughs> I spoke some like mm -hmm. I didn't really have English lessons at school maybe you would have one like it was totally bad like you would just learn five words or something yeah yeah sure yeah sorry don't mean to insult no no, no I get you <laughs> <laughs> but if anybody sees that but but yeah. no yeah we didn't have like a, unless you went to like a bilingual school mm -hmm. like in Mexico in some bilingual schools, you private school, let's say, you got like a lot of English training, but public schools, not really. 
So I, I learned some English here and there, I, also from my family, because I had family in in Texas and mm. and Maryland. So I kind of got exposed more and stuff. So so I will speak a little, kind of like a little bit of English. But then like once I moved there for good, I I had to take the TOEFL exam. I don't yeah. know if you So I took like um three months of English or something, ESL, and then I took the TOEFL exam and I passed and then I I was I was at least allowed to to go to school, right? And yeah. I guess I learned more from them. What was the the shock of being in Canada? We'll say <laughs> weather wise when you when you get there or soon after. Right. Uh well, obviously it was completely different than Mexico <laughs> yeah. weather, but I liked it. Like I was like the at first it was like, what snow? What? I never seen snow. Like you can skate skate in a canal and things yeah. like all these things that I wasn't exposed to before. So it was kind of cool, like the experience of of snow and and like extreme cold temperatures. I'm like, how does it feel to be minus 40 degrees? Like things like that. But but now I mean I got used to it. I mean, I I do like the warm weather, <laughs> right? I, I enjoy every summer here because like oh yeah yay summer. But but the initial the initial shock was more like cool never seen snow before <laughs> <laughs> and then why won't the snow leave I, yeah, <laughs> exactly and then oh snow again <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay it's cute all right no. i thought it was just one day what? yeah right <laughs> it's <been> three months <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah what was the what was the food change like I mean, I didn't really think about it much until it was kind of more like at the beginning, I didn't think about it much. But now I, I every time I go to Mexico, like tacos and I'm going to go to my favorite taco place. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That, like, like, I mean, I, I'm used to that food. So I sometimes I miss it. But not, yeah, I guess it was that. The, the more I, yeah, like now that I don't get to have tacos that much, I, I really enjoy it when I go to Mexico and eat them. Yeah. Yeah. But on one on one side it was like, so I was like 19 and me, I was like, okay, so this means I I'm out in college and I can eat whatever I want. Yeah. Basically. So I, I was so bad because I ate like pizza every day. And oh nice. Like yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah not good like four years <laughs> and now like, i need to change my he- eating habits like, yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> when you when you start studying in ottawa what kinds of things do you are does it like are there things you immediately work on in terms of the on the percussion side to that you're like okay this is a, a place i don't have as much i haven't done as much here in this category and I need a lot of work here or was it kind of everything just needed to get better (laughs) right so it was basically technique like Mm -hmm. that's what I I focus on a lot when I was in Canada it was like I think part of what Ian my former teacher liked was that I mean aside from the fact that I was super passionate about what I was doing and and wanted to be a progression. I was very serious, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I 
I was kind of um, at a point where I felt frustrated technically and and I wanted to learn a lot about how to improve my technique. And, and I was kind of like on that search as a musician and, and he kind of got that and, and he kind of understood that and he, uh, yeah, helped me with that. And, and yeah, that was basically a lot of what I did, but I did a lot of timpani with him. Also, I, I went to do, um, mallet lessons with Bob Becker in Toronto mm. while I was there. Um, and yeah, I mean, I had a kind of like a balanced thing of snare, timpani, mallets going on. The percussion, how you say, approach, I guess, in, in Ottawa is very traditional. So very yeah. kind of like orchestral and stuff. So, yeah. Was there a large uh, ensemble component, whether percussion ensemble or large ensemble playing like orchestras, band, all that kind of stuff? Uh, so at the university, yeah, I mean, there was a percussion ensemble. There was an orchestra, wind ensemble, some chamber music, contemporary ensemble um yeah and stuff and then I was doing a lot of aside from that like things at the art national art center so I got to like that was kind of like this extra educational component I got where like I say I, I I got to perform with like a professional orchestra and uh other types of ensembles at the time the Ottawa Symphony Orchestra and some other Canadian orchestras and stuff. What was some of the, for recitals, for ensemble stuff, what was some of the lit that you were performing at that point? So we had to do two recitals as a, in, in the bachelor's degree. Well, for the first one, you had to perform snare, timpani, and, and some mallet. And then the second one also like multi-percussion and stuff. So I did like so a lot of like Carter pieces for timpani, um, for snare, I did some of the Ciron mm -hmm. uh, studies and like the Siegfried Fink pieces yep. Yep. and like uh, this piece, the Prim is called, one that Evelyn Glennie played for a long time. I oh, forgot. Prim? Yeah. For a snare drum? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. That was a cool one. That's a big, that's a long piece. It's a yeah. lot of pages at least. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a cool piece, and and the like this the multi percussion the you know the diabolic inspirations. Yeah, uh, I don't remember who wrote it, but I'm familiar. It's a uh, Ricky Tagawa. The inspiration. Oh, oh right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, yeah, time for marimba. I was mm -hmm. kind of like was more a lot better at at two mallet. For some reason, I struggle with four mallet and. Mm. I switched techniques and I was a lot better, but it wasn't like my strength. Sure. Too much. It was I. It was I was good at it, or I'm. I guess I'm good. Good at it. No. Um, kind of like the rock time and kind of. Yeah, of course. There was a lot of focus on in in Ottawa in terms of like the repertoire and things like that. On on more than trying to make you play all these new pieces or things like that, or like a particular piece there was more focus or emphasis on like playing it perfectly. Like make sure you, you play everything, uh, you know, a hundred percent as good as you can. Yeah. It, rather than like, let's play this piece or you have to play this piece or things like that. Do you go right from there to Boston? Yeah. So I finished there 2009. 
Then I went to Mexico for one year, when okay. which is when I was doing auditions and stuff for for masters. And a year after that, I came to Boston. Yeah. What were aside from doing auditions? What else were you doing in Mexico? In Mexico. So let's see. So I was doing auditions. I was traveling because I remember I did this program in Germany in mm. the with Peter Sadlow. I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did that in in the fall when I was there. I was kind of also looking for schools and stuff. So mm-hmm. I went to the program there because I was kind of interested to study with him and I, I gave some recitals in Mexico as well. Like, mm-hmm. so yeah, kind of that basically. That was my focus. What when you go to Boston? Is that is there an assistantship with that, or is that just a just a study? I mean, I was lucky that I got scholarships support a lot mm. from Mexico. So, yeah, that was I was lucky enough to do that. But um, and focus on my studies, but. Part of the the thing is like it was kind of hard to be a lot do a lot of work while you were a student, so it was very limited. Let's say like yeah. as an international student, so sure. yeah, it was kind of limited. So I didn't end up doing that while I was a student. So gotcha. When you get there, what kinds of things are similar and different in who you're taking lessons with in Boston versus? Uh, with Ian in Ottawa. Right. Part of the reason why I explore more like I want to do a master's and and in these schools and things like that, it was like um, Ian kind of like wanted me, was hoping I would be a timpanist. Mm, uh, sure. But although he, once I said I, I didn't really want to be a timpanist, he, he was supportive and everything. Yeah, I was looking more for career paths that will send me up or help me by with then what I want was pursuing was to be a soloist. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that's why I kind of ended up going to I was looking for those career parts, but paths, but also um so in wait, <laughs> in Boston I was Nancy Salesman and you know, like all these teachers and um, but also like what I liked about Boston Conservatory was that the it was very open too, like in the sense of like you can like in the sense of career exploration of like uh you can like I was supposed to like ideas of like you don't have to be uh orchestral percussionist or or you can work make kind of your own career or you can explore all these paths. So I was kind of cool. That yep. I like that a lot. And and that kind of like helped me in, in like encouraging me. Because I think like the whole thing of like I want to find my own voice or like that was inside me, right? But mm-hmm. then it was good to feel kind of like encouraged by, by, you know, like the environment you were in to be like, that's okay. Like, mm-hmm. and, and, and seeing kind of like other students kind of like, like I was very inspired at seeing other students or classmates putting up recitals of like their own compositions or like something kind of like different. And, and I was like, Oh, I want to do that too. Like, or, or yeah, kind of like, it was very inspirational in that sense. Like, 
encouraging to pursue different career paths. Yeah, in, in training wise, I mean, it was more like, whereas in Canada was more orchestral focus, I will say here was more sort of whether solo focus or or more like small ensemble focus. Yeah. In yeah, that. Yeah. And more open to like new music and things like that. Less less traditional, let's say. Yeah. I think what's really good is that you found a place that was gonna it may not have gotten it may not have maybe the training wouldn't have is not so directed at what you're doing, but at least it was open enough that like once you were like, I cut this is kind of my thing, mm-hmm. it sounds like you had a chance to explore it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like the environment was like supportive. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And and you haven't left, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm Boston. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I when you I you know, as you're concluding that degree, are you d- did you think I'm going to go to the next thing or were you, were you, were you done with school and you're like, let me just try to figure some things out. What, what ends up happening when you, when you finish the masters? I was kind of done with school in the sense that I, I felt more the need of like finding kind of like expressing myself rather than, than they kind of like, I was a little tired of the academic side of it. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, I like I want, I wanted to express myself. So Rather than like, I felt more like rather than continuing that and and being in the position of like, now I have to learn a kind of like, or now I have to, you know, learn all this more tradition and and to follow this path or things like that. Like I wanted to more find myself and and express something that maybe was kind of suppressed, let's say, sure. by the training. Yeah. That, I wasn't able to to get out and I wanted to get out. But I felt at the moment like I have somehow, you know, like the technical tools and mm-hmm. I wanna find my purpose and my what I want, what I have to give. Like yeah. so yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. And when you when you do finish, um are you do are, are there freelancing opportunities to, I mean, I'm just thinking about you making a living. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. So what, what, how do you just kind of get started once, once you're done with the degree? Yeah. So that was, um, yeah, good question. Cause I was also on, on an artist visa back then. Oh. So I could only work as an artist. So that made it also more like another extra layer of challenge. <laughs> like sure, I could yeah. take a, in the moment, uh, you know, a job here, a coffee place, right? I think that way I, I thought of the busking because it's music, like yeah, even yeah. like eat, just, just go. But no, I, I was like at the moment lucky enough to find some teaching opportunities and I continue that up until now. Yeah, the performing there opportunities, you know, like started slow and and kind of like found my way through the years yeah I was teaching I guess a lot uh, like the first couple years Mm -hmm. and and kind of like trying trying to find my way through getting more performing opportunities while I was like starting in Boston as a my career in Boston and yeah and then that's around when I started ideas not theories and and that kind of 
I guess helping in in giving me more performing opportunities because I don't know I was super passionate about it and I was very uh, not aggressive but very just like good at knocking door like knocking mm-hmm. on doors and and yeah. let's see where who wants me to perform this I'm just gonna ask any everybody <laughs> like yeah like, and kind of snowball from there I will say so yeah. Was the plan or was part of the plan to just to stay in Boston where you were like, no, I kind of like it here. Or was it just if you just happen to get started and you're like, well, I'm I could stay here and I'm make it work. Yeah, I always really like Boston. Like, mm-hmm. I think from the beginning, I kind of want really wanted to stay here. So I don't know. There were a lot of things going on when I moved here. But one of the things was also that I how you say, I came out. Like I'm yeah, gay. So that was one of the things. And here is like a whole different world than what I'm used to in that sense, like super open and supportive. That was one of the things like I really like just like the the mindset of people and and stuff. And but yeah, I gen I just in general I liked just a lot of things about here and and then I guess I'm I made it work. So yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Reina Elise, I finished with a segment called Random Ask Questions. Mm-hmm. So, first question is, and first couple, not random. First one is, what's an issue in percussion performance or percussion education that most gets under your skin or drives you the most nuts? Percussion education, which just based on what I was explaining in my background, mm-hmm. that maybe I cannot put like in a few words exactly what it is, but... I wish it was, well, I see that now it's making a lot of progress, but I wish it was more open to, you know, accept or like just be open to the fact that everybody is different and learns differently. And yeah, not everybody necessarily is made to follow a particular path or or, yeah. or feeding a mold and stuff. I wish it was more open. Uh, maybe it is now, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think, yeah. When back 10 years ago, that frustrated me. So, yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's like, this is, it, this loads right into the basic presentation, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, that's great. All right. Uh, next question. Take this wherever you want to go. Um, being being a percussionist who is also not from the United States originally, who is woman, LGBTQIA plus, like you know, you have lots of you have lots of frames to think about this. So, kind of, what are some either experiences or just your general thoughts on it? So, floor is yours wherever you want to go. It's kind of hard to say because, like, that's who I am. So, I never be something else. Sure. So it's kind of like the experience I've gotten is like the normal for me. Oh, I guess that's not bad. But like, but I, yeah. I, I mean, I guess I'm lucky that I haven't experienced like extreme, you know, discrimination, I think. But um, like blight, blatantly that I, you know, like, like super aggressive or things like that. I mean, like I was saying with, especially with my, like being neurodivergent like I yeah I definitely always felt like I didn't fit in in places so I think that's kind of why I made kind of my own thing to fit in in something (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh but other than that um 
I mean, being LGBT, I guess, was a struggle before I came here. I, I guess it, I wasn't in an environment that felt safe to come out. Like, even though I unconsciously knew, like, I, I just didn't feel safe or, or like, welcomed or something. Yeah. So, yeah, being here, actually, that helped a lot uh, in that sense. Immigrant woman, like, you you do sense, like, you know, micro-racist things and micro-sexist things, definitely. I don't know if I can think of some right now, but, oh, yeah. but definitely it's there, you know, like... Unfortunately, but I think uh, people in general, general are trying to make changes. So just like people have bias, like like thinking like kind of like almost like the double standard between women and men, like in percussion. And you almost like unconsciously assume a women percussion is not going to be as good as <laughs> even like like unconscious bias. Yeah, yeah, right. Like in just like any setting, like you might show up to an, an orchestra gig that your first time there and nobody knows each other. And then like the one guy gets the, all the cool parts or something. You know what I mean? Like right, things yeah. like that, like that you definitely notice. I mean, definitely there, but I think it's good. Changes are being made for that. And people are more aware. I mean, you are asking me, so that's, that means you are aware, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Other questions these will get on the goofier fun side. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's the most impractical item of clothing you own? Oh, I own this kind of Dr. Seuss hat kind of type of, it's not really a Dr. Seuss, uh-huh. but it's huge hat. Yeah. Someone gave me, I'm like, I think I wore it for a gig once. And I was like, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Did it stay on your head or no? It was like, oh, it's just moving around and I'm... Yeah, probably felt like two, two seconds after. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like that. Oh, and the, the costumes from, from my show. Those are pretty weird. So, oh, yeah, yeah, but he... Those are practical though. Yeah, yeah that, that's got a purpose though. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess just as long as it's not, maybe not in the front closet when someone puts their jacket and be like, oh, there's a there's oh an elephant God. outfit. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you, and you would just be like, what do you mean you don't have you, you don't have those <laughs> in your front closet? I understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I have also these random vest, like jean vest that I yeah, got. A jean vest. Oh wow! That's <laughs> <laughs> that has these like you know like the punk kind of like metal yeah. things sticking out that I like so once at a trip show like cool I'm gonna get it and I wore it for Halloween once and I'm like thrown away I'm like <laughs> <laughs> like when am I gonna wear it <laughs> <laughs> those oh, things awesome. are like so cool but then like you're never gonna wear it because yeah <laughs> other question has anyone ever nailed an impression of you and if so how'd they do it no impression. One of my students actually made a <laughs> kind of funny impression of me. I'm actually usually I am the one making impressions of. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> of like my family and stuff. Uh huh. Always ask me now imitate your dad and now imitate your sister. Do this <laughs> one like the one you did two years ago. I'm like, <laughs> it's not a show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, one of my students one time, like, so I guess he's the one of the, he's the first one, how you say, of my teaching day, right? Yeah, yeah. One day. 
So I come in like from outside and keep mm-hmm. waiting or whatever. And and I guess I always say the same words because like he he just started before I say anything, he's like, Hola Kevin, how are you? How was your day? Did you do anything fun? <laughs> 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 he retained like all the typical phrase I ask with like my voice speech kind of thing. Wow. <laughs> did you tell did you tell him to get out? Like I don't need that. <laughs> just like <laughs> laugh so hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's so cool. Yeah. All right. What is your biggest kitchen mess up? Huh. So a lot of them actually. Oh. I'm not a. <laughs> I'm. I'm not that. Uh, I'm. I don't really love cooking. I love eating. I don't love cooking. But um. Hmm. One of them is. At one time, well, two. One time, I tried to make chocolate chip cookies. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I followed instructions, put them in the oven, and came out as one big cookie. Like oh. all melted and touched each other. Kind mm. of thing. <laughs> it was like this big, huge cookie. And then another similar thing was uh actually when I was in Canada, I tried to make brownies from out of the box, but yeah. I think I put too much eggs or something uh-huh. that the brownies came out with like the eggs cooked, kind of like <laughs> it was like eggs. <laughs> white eggs kind of yeah. <laughs> with the chocolate stuff I'm like what? <laughs> was that not that doesn't seem like that's edible actually yeah like seems kind of like brunch thing because it's like eggs yep. and something sweet but yeah <laughs> <laughs> those are great <laughs> alright uh, what is a great movie and what is a terrible movie have you seen okay how about i'll get to that but i say a movie that's terrible so terrible that it's great mm-hmm. have you seen this movie the room yes <laughs> <laughs> yep like so bad that it's like so good and so funny I, I don't know see here's the thing i don't know that it's that it's actually good it's just that it's so bad that it just exists on like that's another so level <laughs> This is so random and weird. Just like the whole story of back, the backstory of like yes, the yeah. guy bought a, like a huge billboard. Yeah, yeah. To promote it and like yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just they'll, they'll decide to just have a throw, have a catch, just for no reason. You know, like <laughs> oh, yeah. just so cheesy. He's so fun. Yeah. Like so good. Yeah, they change the characters. Like thinking nobody's gonna notice. Like. <laughs> Like the actor couldn't come anymore or something, and they yeah, kind of, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But more serious. Let's see. I mean, I'm just gonna tell you an old movie because I, sure. for some reason, I cannot even think of recent movies that I watched. I used to like Life Is Beautiful movie, like, mm-hmm. uh, and this movie Happy Go Lucky is called. Like, it's yeah. Some- Disney, I know those. That's kind of like funny, quirky, and stuff. Yeah. Um, I like those. I like. I'm into like psychological thrillers also. Oh, okay. Yeah. I love. I love like mystery kind of psychological thrillers. Like, I used to like um, Shutter Island, for example, things like yeah. that. Just like I don't know. My wife thinks I I just have bad movie taste. Like, oh. <laughs> but, but no, I like good movies. I like all kinds, like psych thrillers, like more artsy movies. Just, yeah. You know how some people can get 
just like not be too picky as like watching shows and movies mm -hmm. and just yeah. kind of like, ah, like what's here okay let's see i guess i'll watch this yeah, yeah. i'm so bad like i don't get into anything like it has to be <laughs> something very particular yeah and then i really get into it like yeah. but i'm kind of picky or something i don't know where it is uh -huh. but, like i usually don't look for comedy and stuff but i i sometimes someone recommended me to watch like the office like a couple a few years ago yeah and, <laughs> I watched it and and I don't know, it was really funny, I guess. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. But I watched it like five times. <laughs> That's, yeah. You the whole thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just funny. Like especially because of COVID, like during COVID, and yeah. like all a lot of the things you could do for fun were watching movies and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I like watched that more again. Yeah. And I like <laughs> That, there are a lot of people who that they basically they either discovered or rediscovered it during covid uh-huh like yeah. in the same way just they binged it and just and then it become like a big thing again basically yeah, <laughs> yeah and it's weird because it doesn't you know the jokes that are coming but it's yeah. still fun like, oh yeah yeah that's it's, that's part of what makes it great you know? yeah and i love <laughs> watching like if i'm watching with my wife or let's say with my my mom and dad or something one time yeah. i showed I love like just seeing their reaction. Of course. Of my joke, like, oh, that joke is coming. Pay attention. Yeah. Pay attention. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's funny because my, my wife like really just she she always gets annoyed when she's like, please stop looking at me. <laughs> you know, it's like, I want to make sure it's funny. Oh, you know. <laughs> so I think you do the same thing, it sounds like. Yeah, right. Yeah. But then my parents, like my dad doesn't speak a lot of English and I put subtitles and stuff, but some jokes are kind of like cultural in a way yeah, too. Right. So like the joke will just pass by him. I'm like, do you get it? No? Oh, well, let me like trying to explain a joke. Yes. <laughs> Which that always goes well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's a favorite book? One of the books that like I I say was very um made a big impression on me is like the t Tolkien books, mm -hmm. like yeah. um The Hobbit, mm -hmm. uh, especially. Um yeah, and I think it was because like back then when I read, I was like super like I was saying super shy and yeah, like I was saying I always feel felt now more way more confident, but I always felt kind of like I didn't fit in or and stuff like that. I I read that when I went out for the first time it, to play with an orchestra. I, we went to Spain, but it was like the first time I was away from my family for a long time alone or whatever. So mm -hmm. I had a hard time that first time. I was like really anxious and stuff. And I I read that and somehow like I don't know it it. It 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 was kind of inspirational. Like you're on a trip, like like it's an adventure kind of thing. Have you read the other books of his, The Fellowship and? Uh, <laughs> I think I read the first one, and also read like the Harry Potter because I I remember like both two were kind of like Harry Potter and the the Tolkien. The movies were coming out at the same time, like yeah. at the same time. So I read like four of the Harry Potter ones and two of of Tolkien. I guess I was into like more fancy stuff then. 
Yeah. So. Gotcha. Do you have a sports fandom? No, not really. Which is which is like I live in Boston and there are all these sports like yeah. teams, passionate teams. Yeah. Like, you know I mean, like you see them everywhere, all the fans. Like mm-hmm. no, because I think like I'm more when it comes to sports, I'm more of like I like doing them, yeah. but I don't like watching them that much. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why I just never got really into watching like sports. So gotcha. I didn't but, know if I was gonna if we were gonna delve into a um, Mexico soccer uh well, well when I was in Mexico actually I kind of you kind of have to follow a team it's like yeah. uh cultural like so where I'm from there are two main teams mm-hmm. the Rayados yeah Monterrey Rayados and the Tigres mm-hmm. Tigers so those are the big teams in Monterrey and they're like against each other and the fans are like against each other like rivals and yeah. like it's always like cultural, like, so are you the like the real question is, are you a rayado or are you a tiger? <laughs> then yeah. I know if I can be your friend, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so I was like, a lot of my family were rooting for the rayados. So yeah. I guess I grew up kind of like with that kind of thing. And I always enjoyed watching the World Cup. Like mm-hmm. that was cool. I like doing that. Like yeah. rooting for like Mexico and things like that. When I was there, so yeah. How about well, you? Are you into a team? I, I yeah, I'm a U.S. men's national team is. Okay. My, I watched uh, and the women's team too. Actually, both. I, I'm. I just like. I like why, and I don't. It's funny. I don't watch the club soccer. Is not. It's fine, but it's not. I'm always interested in the net and like World okay. Cup and the big competitions between the countries is much more interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I like also the bigger kind of like national World Cups and things yeah. like that. But now that you ask, when I was before I was kind of like became like I want to be a musician, I was kind of like this. I was kind of obsessed with with the Chicago Bulls and my oh, yeah. for some yeah. reason I never watched a game. But I was like, for some reason, I was like, Michael Jordan, yes, Chicago Bulls. <laughs> and I had like posters and stuff. I like, yeah. never watch a game. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know why. Like, I think I saw the Space Jam movie. That's it. Great. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> okay. That makes sense. That's funny. You ask about movies, and I'm like having a hard time mentioning, but then movies literally changed my life. Yeah. Like Selena. Okay, Selena, one good movie. There you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. Space Jam, yeah, obviously. Space Jam. Yeah, That's there it is. <laughs> so on yeah, the like on, what's that? I was like ten or something. Nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so but uh, you know, following up on the Tigres versus the, the Riados, is that the the yeah. other? So is that a? How is it decided? Who's a? Is it like a part of town? Is it like just family? Like a family will cheer for one team, and then everyone cheers for a team. How how does it even break down? Right. Yeah. I think so. Okay. So I think there are different elements. One is they both kind of belong or have affiliations with the two big colleges in Mexico, oh, okay. in Monterrey. Yeah. So so the Rayados has affiliations with these technological. Uh, college there and yeah. and the other one has association with the just like the public university 
yeah. people in university. So it's kind of like part of it is people like associating with like, oh, I root for the university, like this, because like the right. university or things like that. And but also definitely it's just totally random, like your family happens to root for the Tigris and therefore most of them are Tigris, but then you always have the one that's rebellious that like, oh no, I'm a Rayado. Like, um, and then kind of like it feels like you are different or something because you root for the other team and like kind of like that. But it's definitely like cultural too, like mm. like I'm saying, like just your surroundings root for this team, then you root for that team. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Where is somewhere that you have not traveled to? That you still want to get to? I'm curious going to Indonesia mm. and like kind of like the Polynesian islands. Any particular reason? Well, one reason is music, like just like seeing the the gamelan and just like the the musical culture there and just like the culture. What I've seen or like photos I've seen and stuff, like it just looks interesting, I guess. Mm. And also, like, I went to Hawaii, like, a, a year ago, a couple of years ago, and, and I thought, like, the Polynesian culture is, like, really kind of like, interesting and cool and just, like, I, I've always been kind of, how do you say, attracted to, like, island kind of cultures. I don't know. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I had also an, 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 which I already went, but when I was 16, I had this uh, fixation with Ireland. Like mm. before I went there, I was like, Ireland, I, I need to go to Ireland. Ireland is so cool. Or or like, kind of like I put it on a pedestal for some reason, like yeah, yeah. for some reason, I don't know. Just like with, with the Chicago Bulls. But I think I was just fascinated with like the music and the Celtic music and things like that. Um, but then I went and it was, after I went, I, I, I was over that. So oh. it, it wasn't super exciting. Okay. It was cool. I mean, it's re- very pretty, but, yeah. but I was, it, I, I had it less romanticized, but by the time I went, let's see. <laughs> yeah. How about you? Where would you want to go? Well, I, I'm hope I'm should be getting to go to Ireland actually in March Oh, with the with the marching band here so oh that's really cool so i'm, I'm excited it, it's definitely been on i've just i love like pretty places and mm-hmm. i've heard everyone just says kind of like you like just like the beauty is just so it's so so wonderful yeah that i'm just i'm ready I, like i want to see it so yeah. right yeah it's it's so green like that's yeah so cool yeah yeah, yeah gotcha all right, uh, last couple. Strangest, funniest, or most bizarre performance moment that involves you? Well, one of them that comes to mind is one time I was performing with my mom's company mm-hmm. uh, when I was younger, and we were playing one of my compositions like for snare drums, and it was three of us. And uh, so we kind of like, it was like a dance theatrical performance. So we played that kind of like in between. So it wasn't like you finish and and then you like break formality and you bow and everybody bow. Like it was kind of like more continuous. Mm-hmm. So the, the direction was that we finish, we freeze, the lights go off. And then 
right after that, the last go off right away. And then we take that time to get away, bring our drums out, right? This was like a big theater stage with like, you know, an auditorium. So it was kind of serious. So we finish, freeze. Like people clap, stop clapping. (laughs) Lights don't go off. And we're like, oh, you're just you're just completely in the light. Because like. we were kind of like, don't break. If people clap, don't do anything. Just wait for the lights and leave. So yeah, we yeah. see people clap. The clap fades. We're like, the last one goes. <laughs> and we're like, just like there. <laughs> staring at each other. like, And then like it goes out for like a minute or two. Mm. And the lights don't go off. And then like. You're still like, holding it? We're just holding it and like there is this weird silence and like and then like uh, and then like what happened is we were just staring at each other trying to laugh and then I laugh like I go like <laughs> right yeah, yeah. over my mouth and that moment the lights go off oh. and then like we start laughing and giggling taking the drums and then and then apparently I yell like hey Anna you forgot the drum bring that drum or something <laughs> It was just like all chaotic, like oh my god, super awkward. That was what it was. Yeah, <laughs> that's oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> oh my gosh, you oh, were yeah. such a professional. This is great. You were just like I was told. I gotta wait. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. Like I was strolling to laugh, but I remember another another one where. We were playing like a gig, like a school gig, kind of like the percussion ensemble will play on, you know, events and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we were playing outside with all the percussion ensemble in Mexico. And the pages started, you know, like it was windy and we weren't that aware of what you should do for yeah, yeah. pages, like mm-hmm. you know, um, not blown away. So I wasn't playing on that piece. But I was just kind of like there waiting to help and stuff. So this guy was playing drum set. So what I see is like the pages are on the floor, right? His mm-hmm. page. And I yeah. run and I put the pages back like every time. And then and then I go back and I see him again and run and put the pages back. I thought they were flying away. Turns out he was just putting them in the floor because he had oh. that page. So he was like playing, oh, I'm done, putting the floor, playing, putting the floor. But I thought they had blown run away so i'm like running and make sure to put him back and cover his actual page that he was reading (laughs) 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 and i never got the hint of what was really going on oh oh my gosh (laughs) that is wild (laughs) (laughs) oh that's amazing all right all right last question uh one piece of art could be music, movies, books, podcasts, YouTube clips, theater, visual art, poetry, anything has impacted you the most recently. So I was in the Grammy ballots mm. for my album, which yeah. means you're on the ballots and people can vote for you. Like I'm not nominated yet or anything. But through doing my campaign for that, I got to like listen to a lot of the other people who submitted for mm-hmm. the ballots as a what was it, 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 what category were you nominated for uh well not nominated yet but oh. on the ballots for the circus cla- classical but it's like best contemporary classical composition and best classical solo instrumental per- performance something gotcha. like that. 
Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but but what I was gonna say is that I got to through campaigning, I got to listen to a lot of the entries from the other people mm. from all these different genres. Yeah. And so I listened to a lot of music. So I was really super cool and and like interested, interesting to just be exposed to all these different genres. Uh, like for example, like some that stuck up stuck with me were like or inspirational. Some yeah. that stuck with me were like some alternative alternative jazz albums that there is this artist who combines ragas with jazz. Mm. Um, Charu Suri is her name. And um, this other musician who um, wrote an album to basically his mom passed away and he wrote a dedication album, which was like very poetically done, let's say, in like the the symbolic and meaning of how he went about it and stuff. But he plays this instrument, which I forgot the name, but it's from... uh, I don't remember if it's Vietnam or I'm pretty sure it's Vietnamese, like mm-hmm. a traditional instrument. And he plays that with piano at the same time. Uh, his name is Trin Ngujian. And um, this other artist who does children's music, who I was really inspired by because her music was, had a lot of like depth and had like a lot of statements like sometimes like you see a lot of children you say that's kind of like hey i i don't know going to school right now and kind of more like simplistic or something which mm-hmm. i don't think it should be like um but this had a lot of yeah it was very inspiring like she talked a lot about diversity and and stuff in her music and was very powerful um her name is vivian fang liu i think so I don't know, those just being exposed to that where it was very inspirational and and those were kind of some that stuck stuck on on me and mine. Yeah. Recently, let's say. What a pleasure chatting with Reina Lise for this interview. I hope for future success for Reina Lise for her company her compositions, her education, and her life in general. All of it. Thanks again, Reynalise. This week's rave is a double. The 2023 documentary Brooke Shields' Pretty Baby, now showing on Hulu, and the podcast interview she did on WTF with Mark Maron this past April, episode 1423 of that show, found on most podcast locations. If you're someone of, we'll say, middle age or older, then Brooke Shields has likely been a part of your life, whether you've ever thought about her or not. If you're not aware of who she is, she became well-known in the late 1970s and early 1980s through three specific items. The films Pretty Baby, filmed when she was 11, and The Blue Lagoon, filmed when she was 13 and 14 years old, both of which are fascinating films, and neither one of those could even be remotely made nowadays and for her modeling career, where she was the international spokesperson for Calvin Klein jeans. After that, she's also been known for being an actor on TV and Broadway, her celebrity relationships and previous marriage to former tennis star Andre Agassi, 
and her experiences and book on postpartum depression. Even if you're not familiar at all with her, I still recommend this documentary. The film is told mostly through her perspective, along with lots of footage of her work, her being interviewed at various ages on every single talk show you can imagine, plus with a lot of friends and co-stars and others helping to provide context to what's going on. As someone who is somewhat familiar with her career, it was both a great summation and got pretty deep into all the things that she was dealing with being, well, Brooke Shields. Most notably, her very, very complicated relationship with her mother who got her into show business. It's very much worth checking out, again, on Hulu. Once you've done that, then hop over to the WTF podcast for her interview with Mark Marin. It's a very worthwhile double because Mark has pretty much had Brooke Shields in his life for its entirety. The two of them are approximately the same age. And because, as he does, he digs in and gets her to open up even further about her life. It's really a great interview. So, feel free to watch some Brooks Shields films, check out the doc and the podcast. It will all be very well worth your time. And that's our show. Once again, a huge thank you to all of you for sticking with me with this podcast all this time and for enjoying the show. I look forward to continuing to do these interviews and getting to know more people in this format. You can find every episode of the show and the podcast at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud and Spotify and many other podcast locations. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend, rate and review in every place you can, and also let me know. If you have any questions or want to get in touch with me, you can find the page on Facebook at Pete's Percussion Podcast, where you can like that page and get in touch with me there. You can also Find me on Instagram and X at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete'sPerkPod at gmail.com. Have a wonderful rest of the year, and I will see you again in 2024. Until then.